What's going on, everybody, and welcome to the Create Great Podcast, where I, Mitch Stengel, and my great friend and business partner, Jerry Twingy, will be discussing business, leadership, and everything in between, all the while interviewing people who are strong in these roles. Thank you so much for joining us today, and now let's get to it. What's going on, everybody? And thank you for joining us for episode five of the Create Great Podcast. We got a special episode for you today as you are listening to your hosts, Jerry Twingy and Mitch Stangle, joined by the CEO. That's right, the Chief Executive Officer and President of SDCU, Ezra Eckhart. Ezra is only the fourth CEO the Spokane Teachers Credit Union has had since its opening in 1934. SDCU is a large credit union holding 26 branches in 13 different cities. These branches provide financial services for its 185,000 members and 2.8 billion, with a B, dollars in assets. Among the 120 Washington-based credit unions, it is the third largest based on asset size. Ezra is deeply committed to his community as well. He has served on boards for the Spokane International Airport, the Spokane University District, and Gonzaga Preparatory School. As a graduate of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, Ezra has a master's degree in business administration from Gonzaga University. Go Bulldogs, baby. Now, without further ado, let's get into this interview. What would you say was one moment that like propelled your life career anything like that that you just kind of snap back to well that's interesting um i don't know i couldn't say probably one um but a lady once told me that you have there's like seven defining moments um in in a person's life and the older you get they change right yeah (laughs) so you know what what are seven when you're 25 it's a different number when you're 50 or 60. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think for me, for where I am today, the biggest defining moment was deciding to get out of the army. And um, so I, I went to the United States Military Academy. And like when I when I went to college and when I got out, I was going to be in the army forever. You knew, <laughs> okay. And um, and you know I I had a really cool um, first set of army jobs, and we lived in Italy for three years, oh, and awesome. I was in an airborne unit, and um, we got to do all the cool stuff that was happening in the middle '90s. But there's no wars or anything, right? Yeah. And um, I was on the first plane load of people that went to Bosnia. Um, you know, my unit got deployed to Africa. We went to Serbia. That's crazy. When the Ron Brown plane crashed into the mountain. Jeez. And, um, but when I got back to the United States, I was kind of like, eh, you know. Um, and the Army had, from the time I started until, the, until really the time I got out, it had shrunk about 50% in size. Oh, wow, okay. And and we were doing twice the number of deployments, and this is in the 90s, yeah, right? Yeah. So before 9-11 right, right. or yeah. any of the wars that are going on. And so by 1998, I was kind of like, I don't know, I don't, you know I'm going to have like a boring job. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, I'm not feeling about it anyway. Um, so I got out, and um, I thought about going to business school, and long story short, it just didn't really happen. But I think if I had stayed in, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's coincidental what we're talking today, but um, last night, the guy who was my last boss, um, I was a company executive officer when he was a, the company commander, and he's now a three-star general, and he just took Jeez. over a job in 
Korea. That's oh, crazy. Wow. Okay. And my my seventeen year old daughter's like, "Oh, do you wish you were in the army?" I'm like, "No." <laughs> that yeah, that's not sounding like no. It. And yeah. and you know he that guy has been on ten combat deployments. Jeez, okay. He has he he was eight times to Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. He um, the guy he's replacing in Korea was in Korea for four and a half years. Jeez. Wow. So he's and in it like, for the long haul. Uh, yeah. I don't wish I was that. Yeah. Crazy. So I, that to me probably is like the biggest okay. defining. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cause if I had stayed in, you know, it would be a lot of that. Yeah. Right. And, knows. you know, getting out is totally different. Yeah. yeah. And then, so when you were growing up, did you always know you wanted to be in the army? No. Um, and pretty much like zero people in my family were in the army. Yeah. What influenced you then to, to want to do that? Uh, free college. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good incentive. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, nobody, hardly anybody in my family, um, went to college. I think I'm probably the first person to go to actual four year. Okay. Um, and I, I think about the time I was a sophomore, I'm like, what, what am I going to do to get this figured out? Yeah, exactly. You know, before it actually happens. And I did some research in my, kind of in the middle of my junior year. Um, and I just thought that the military academy looked interesting mm-hmm. and I probably didn't do much more research than right. that. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, but I had good grades, so I applied there and I got the nomination and everything. So I knew awesome. I was going there by December of my senior year. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like even before Christmas break. And, you know, kind of went like, totally blind into it, but um, totally expecting that I was going to be in the Army for 20 years. How long were you in the Army? Six years on active duty. Oh, okay. Gotcha. That's crazy. Okay. Wow. And then you went to West Point, right? So what was Mm -hmm. that like there? It's different than a regular Uh, Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. I want to know what that's like. That probably sounds crazy. Yeah. um, You know, the... um, the, the first six weeks is basic training. So, oh, right. That, yep. You know, you, you come in, they give you all your stuff, and um, and then you, you figure out just don't ask any bad questions and do everything you're told to do. But at the end of the six weeks, um, they do this 12 mile road march and you come back to the barracks. Okay. And so the first six weeks, there's 1,500 new cadets and there's like 300 people that are running the summer training. Right. And, and then when you get back to the barracks, there's probably 1,200 new cadets, but there's like 3,500 other people there, okay. right? So it goes from like a five to one ratio in your yeah. favor to a three to one ratio not in your yeah, favor. Yeah, geez, a lot of eyes on you. Yeah, and uh, so I remember like the first week back, I was like, oh, this got way harder. And, <laughs> of course. Um, I, I totally, this, I think about this all the time. I, I was thinking like, oh, okay, well, you know, I got through the first part. That was okay. And, you know, I think I can do all of the academic stuff. So as long as I don't have to take boxing my first semester, <laughs> yeah, if I don't have to take boxing, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> so I went and got my transcript or my, my class schedule and I flop it open. It's like, First period, boxing. No oh, way. That's tough. <laughs> so you wake up. I mean, we had to wake up at probably 4.30. Oh. Um, the first formation was at um, 6.20, but the plebes have a bunch of extra stuff they have to do. So you wake mm-hmm. up at like 4.30, and 
run around and you know deliver people's laundry and the newspapers and stuff. <laughs> and then you go to the to the first formation, you eat breakfast, and back then it was all books. It was thirty right. years ago. So you got to carry all your books for the day. So it's this giant arm load, and nobody had backpacks. You couldn't have backpacks. And so the gym was on one end of the campus, and I had a math class next, and it was a mile away. Oh my Jeez. God! So you'd have to. So I'd have to run to the gym, get the snot beat out of yeah, me. Yeah, I'm boxing. Yeah, and I, w- I weighed, I probably weighed 100 and, maybe I weighed 150 pounds. Jeez, maybe. okay. And, but the, the, the brackets were from like, you know, 105 to 150. Oh, you, you're 151, 151 oh, to 185. Oh, Jeez. no, you're with the big dogs. And then, yes. and then you, and so I like, got the snot. Yeah. And then you'd have to shower in something that looked like a concentration camp. No, of course. And, and then run to your next class, and the uniforms are wool. Oh, so you're my like yeah. hot. Sweaty. Yeah, right at the shower, too. So you're like, you'd run to the next class, you know, carrying all your books. So I, um, in the calculus class one day, we're like taking a quiz or something. My nose just goes, oh, oh no, blood all over the paper. Oh, no. No. That's terrible. Yeah. So that's, that's West Point in a nutshell. Yeah. yeah no, okay. not sound like a great time. Yeah. So then after you, when you were deciding to get out of the Army, what brought you to where you are now? So like what was the career path like there after the Army? Um, you know, one of the advantages of the Army is that you, you're always being trained for the next job you have. Right. And um, I was pretty fortunate to um, find a company that had about the same philosophy. Um, and so I would I went through a recruiting company, and I was targeting businesses that were in Washington, basically. Okay. And, and my wife and I are from Spokane. And... We were mostly, she went to University of Washington, and we mostly were yep. looking for some place that was just close by here. Right. right. Um, so I had a job offer in Sacramento, and then I got a job offer in, in Redmond in, in Seattle. And um, I, it, the company was called Allied Signal, and then Allied Signal and Honeywell merged. Okay. So I worked there for six years, and they had the same kind of development program. So um, I got in as like a project manager and then became um, a business leader and then um, a general manager of a business group. But I went through this training program that they had, which okay. was great. And yeah, it, yeah. You know, it taught me how to read a P&L and to read a balance sheet and how do businesses work. And then I also learned just a lot about um, workflow right. and project management. Yeah, yeah. And, um, which, you know, coming, I mean, I was an infantry guy, so mm-hmm. like dug holes, right, and right. shoot guns. And <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's sounds pretty different. Walk a long way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I didn't really have any um, notions of how a business would really work. And, and so that orientation was, was really helpful. And Honeywell paid for me to get my MBA at GU. Okay, oh, wow. gotcha. That's which nice. Which was, was great, too. Yeah. But um, at the end of six years, I, I was looking back and um, thinking to myself that I had moved more times with Honeywell in six years than I moved with the Army in six years. Oh, wow. Okay. And Jeez. that it was time, they were saying, you know, hey, you need to either move to 
San Jose, who I just moved back from San Jose to Spokane. You can move to Phoenix, and I was in Phoenix a lot, and, right. and it's fine. It's one of the major hubs for Honeywell, but um, I wasn't all that intrigued. You can move to Minneapolis. No. Yeah, that yeah, sounded fun to me. Yeah. Yeah. And the company headquarters is in New Jersey. Okay. And oh, I'm like, and I spent a lot of time just with the training rotations. So I, I, um, I'd say one week a month I was in one of those four places wow. anyway. Yeah, yeah. And so I had plenty of time to check them all out. Yeah. Um, so I, I decided to leave and I got a really great job in the office of the CFO at Microsoft. Oh, wow. Um, and so That's I was great. like the budgeting yeah. director sweet, basically yeah. for the Microsoft Consulting Services business. Okay. Um, and totally loved it. Um, my, my team's office was on the same floor as Steve Ballmer when he was the CEO. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To see the CEO, CEO in the copy room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so, wow. but, you know, we had to be committed and want to move back to right. Seattle. And we had two little kids at the time. And so I just started poking around in Spokane also um, and came across a job at Sterling Bank. And they had two job positions open, one as the CIO and one as the chief administrative officer. And so I threw a roundabout way, um, got connected to the woman who was the, um, the um, vice chairman. Okay. And uh, in conversation with her, I thought I was applying for the um, chief administrative officer. Yeah, job. yeah. And she was like, no, no, you, you work at Microsoft, so we're going to have you be the IT guy. Oh, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know anything about that. Yeah, it's pretty awkward. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, um, they had well-established teams, so I came in, and it was um, IT and operations. And then I shadowed the groups. And, right. You know, I'm not like a... Um, you know, hardware, plugging in the wires. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we um, came up with a plan to um, sort of evolve the technology for the bank. And, you know, one thing led to another. And we put more of the operations teams together. And then um, another guy came and joined us as the president of the bank. And he became the president. I was the chief operating officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as an outcome of the financial crisis, he eventually became the CEO, okay. and I became the president. Yeah. So, I mean, all those things are related. You right, know, yeah, Learn how yeah. business works, and yep. then, you know, a little bit of luck, find yourself in the right position. Right, yeah, so. yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And then when you're, like, getting all of these new jobs and things like that, how are how do you come about those jobs, I guess? Were you just, like, marketing yourself to people that you knew who had these openings, or how did you go about that? Yeah, I was just actually telling this to somebody the other day. So... I got hardwired in the army mm-hmm. that like every twelve months you get another job. Okay, it, it just happens there. You don't right, have to right, ask. yeah, yeah. They do it. <laughs> yeah, and and so you know if you're in a job for eighteen months, you probably did something wrong. Okay, um, or if you're in a job for three months, you got fired. Mm-hmm. And and so you know every twelve months or something, you know I was like, well, you got to be moving to the next job. Yeah, yeah. So I I pretty much carried that forward when I was at Honeywell. And so I, I got hired through the recruiter into this um, like senior project manager role. And after a year of training and getting some projects done, I was like, oh, it's time for me to go get my next job. Yeah. So <laughs> I was months. looking around and, and um, I, I found a great job that was like a two-level promotion. 
and I got I got hired for it, and they're like, "Oh, this is fabulous! You know, we're we're gonna love you in this role." Right. And I went back and told my boss, and she was like, "But you're not you're supposed to be here for like two or three years." Yeah. Like, one year. Yeah, that's not what I was planning. <laughs> yeah, and um, but that that pace, and you know, we were both right. You know, she was thinking that you know people are in jobs for like two or three years. Right. And, but I was just more tuned to like every year. For one year, yeah. Fi- finish what you're supposed to do, and then go and then get out. The next yeah. Thing. yeah. And, and I did that at Honeywell too. Um, but, you know, I, I think the reality is at some point, like my perception wasn't going to line up to what the realities of the, of the, the jobs were. Right. And, and so I was the general manager of the Honeywell facility here in Spokane. And I want, absolutely wanted to be the, um, the head of the international group okay. for that. Yeah, so you know. I had like, I, I had um, indirect responsibility for 16 factories and oh, wow. you know, I had all these things that I was supposed to do, but I, I wasn't directly in the job. Yeah. Yet. Right. So I had an interim role and, and then they brought a guy in from another business group and I was, I mean, looking back on it, I was stupidly offended that they <laughs> yeah. didn't put me in that job. Right. Yeah. And it was irritating because then you know I was still gonna have to move. And, yeah. And um, but but looking back on it, when I started at Sterling, I just made a mental change to say you know I'm not gonna I'm gonna focus on doing a great job with the job I have. Yep, that's good. And then everything else is gonna take care of itself. I'm not gonna apply for any other jobs. Right. I'm just gonna do a great job with at what the you job have I have. Yeah. And and that worked fabulously for me. That's good. Um, you know, all the way through my time at Sterling. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, what would you say are like some solid traits that you think you've had to help you get those jobs? Certainly. Um, well, I think you have to be um, technically and and tactically proficient. Okay. So I think you the the most important attribute is just know what you're supposed to do. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then a, a related aspect of that would be you know be a really good team player. Yep. And, know your role, kind of thing. Right. And but but work for the team. Right. right? Don't yeah, yeah. don't work for yourself. Yeah. And, and so, you know, learn all the aspects of what needs to be done and um, constantly be trying to improve your skill set in the scope of your job. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the things for me like um, going and getting my MBA mm-hmm. and um, while I was at Honeywell, taking all the professional development classes that were available. Right. Um, and those things proved to be really, really useful, um, you know, and, 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 um, one of the other great aspects at Honeywell is they really taught people to be lifelong learners. Okay, and so, yeah. So, you know, are, are you doing the right personal development? Mm-hmm. You know, how does it tie into the skills that you need professionally? Um, and that's just been useful. So d- know the job you're supposed to do and, yeah. and then focus on being a good team player. Right, yeah, that's awesome. Okay. And then you were a professor at GU for a little bit, right? Yeah, I, I taught some adjunct classes in yeah. the School of Business. Yeah. What brought you there then? Uh, well, after I um, finished my MBA, mm-hmm. um, one of the business school professors called me up and asked me if I would, he was going to take a sabbatical, so he called me up and asked me if I would teach one of the operations classes. Um, and then, you know, every other semester or something, I would just get a call and yeah. they'd say, you know, 
from teachers. <laughs> yeah. Like, <"All> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I will say, uh, I I taught one undergrad class, and that was mm-hmm. like too much. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you so, know, that's not what you're gonna do. <laughs> yeah, and that pretty much after that, I was like, yeah. That's awesome. And then when you became the SDCU, then were you straight into the position of CEO or did you work your way up? How'd that work? No, um, the uh, um, Tom Johnson was the CEO and he'd been here for about seven years and okay. Tom announced his retirement. And so um, through a, a formal process, um, I was one of the candidates that yeah. um, the credit union found. And so I joined um, almost exactly two, three years ago now. It was, um, I started on October 23rd of 2017. Okay. Um, so almost, and, almost three years now. Yep. Yeah. And, and came straight into the CEO position. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. What are some of the toughest parts of being a leader and a CEO, you think? Um, well, definitely the toughest thing I have encountered um, – is that you have to be, I find that I have to be much more careful in exactly what I say. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Um, And and more than I feel like I've ever um, had to contemplate before. And I think it's because people are like listening to like every Everything. single phrase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, no and they're especially, looking for something. Well, it, like around, like just brainstorming. Right. You got to be real careful on what you brainstorm. Right. That's people crazy. Like, well, he said to go do this. I'm like, no. It's just an idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and so that I'd say that's the the most difficult part. Okay. Um, you know, and then I think just um, you know. Um, People are complicated, and that you know, running a business is really all about um, organizing the the people right. and giving them the right tools so that they can be successful, um, and and making sure that everybody's operating on the same plan and that there's unity of effort around being organized to be successful, and that requires constant attention definitely um you know because we have 720 people and you know on any given day a hundred of them are probably thinking like you know what should i do next yeah yeah exactly and and just making sure that everybody's organized and aligned Mm -hmm. and you know i i think another um something that i definitely have encountered is that um it's easy for people to um, you know, get irritated and, and chew on the other people inside the organization right. because those are the people I see every single day. Yeah, of course. And so, you know, if you do something I don't like, then I'm irritated with you and, yeah. you know, we start like chewing on each other. But the reality is that our competition's all outside the building. Right. And, and so if we stop chewing on each other and get ourselves organized so that we can meet the needs of our members and do a great job of providing value yeah and focus our our energy around how we beat the competition yeah everybody's working the same thing right and and just the the maintenance of making sure we don't let our own drama sort of take over right um, and and people want to do a good job and they want to be part of a winning team of course and you know yeah. they they want to be successful and they also don't want to have to generate any extra work drama that they got to carry right. home. Yeah. And so just that focus from the leaders around making sure everybody's on the same page and that we 
don't get caught up in the internal energy and then we get it focused externally. Right, you guys are all working towards the same thing. Yeah. What are some strategies that you use to kind of manage that? Yeah. That is a great question. Good. <laughs> um, yeah, good, let's go. Um, the uh, communication, collaboration, and partnership, I okay. think just focusing on those basics, but the, the mechanics of how that happens, um, and, and again, this goes to something I learned at, at Honeywell, um, you know, there, there is a strategic planning process, and the senior leaders should be focused on you know, the one to three year plan. And, you know, the operational leaders should be focused on the three month to 12 month plan. Okay. And, you know, the, the team leaders and, and kind of the department leaders should be focused on what they're gonna do this month and next month. And the employees that are doing the majority of the work should really be focused on what do I need to do today and what do we need to get done this week? Yeah. So having people focus on what, where they're going to have the biggest impact. Mm -hmm. And if I'm, as the CEO, if I'm trying to focus on what somebody's supposed to do today. You're not focused on your stuff. Yeah. So right. so who's trying to put together the, the big picture plan? Yeah. And and then to, to facilitate that, um, making sure that there's this organization between the people planning process and the annual budget planning process and the strategic planning process. So if you think about your strategic plan being kind of a three-year projection to the horizon, then how do you create the annual operating plan so that it's a one-year snapshot, create all the projects and strategies and, and business initiatives around that, mm -hmm. and then give that to the team as their monthly and quarterly budgets, and then how do you build the people plan to be able to have the right people in the right place to do the, the annual operating plan? So that becomes kind of this harmonious yeah. circle that works together. Right, works and out of that, what we focus on here is having four strategic initiatives and then limiting the projects that we can have underneath yeah. so that we're not over-tasking people. And, you know, because if I keep giving you more and more and more stuff to do, you're going to try to do it. Yeah. But the more stuff I give you, the less effective you're going to be again yeah. the, the stuff done today. Yeah. Um, so there's a balance of how that okay. comes together. Yeah. And, and again, it, um, communication, collaboration, and partnership. So we need the key leaders to talk about it, to be on the same page. And, and there, there's always conflicts, right? You mm -hmm. know, we don't have enough resources. We need more people. There's right. not enough time. There's too many projects, so the the leaders have to go through and, and balance that and make sure that we just you know set the team up to be successful. Yeah. Well, in those leaders that you're talking about, what is like one thing that you would say that you look for in putting them in those positions? Um, well, they they have to have a good balance of the technical competence and the strategic perspective. Um, so they need to know how the work is going to get done, yeah. right. and and then they need to know how it ties into the big picture plan, okay. um, you know. And, and then I think that um, it, at least for us, they need to be good collaborative partners. So yeah. they can't just be focused on their own plan, mm -hmm. and they, um, you know, they they need to see how their part fits into the whole big picture. Um, you know, a lot of organizations. Um, you know, people get rewarded for doing their thing, and and sometimes that comes 
at a loss to other people on the team. Right. And and that doesn't work in uh-huh. our environment. So they need to be good team players. Yeah. That makes sure. sense. How do you guys weed those people out then when you're interviewing them? How do you know that they're going to be good in that aspect? You know, um, you don't always know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the hiring process is really um, – there's a lot of moving variables that you have to pay attention to because you're asking somebody to make a big commitment mm-hmm. and you know that that's going to be a change in their life and right. and so you want to be um, thoughtful and purposeful about it and so especially for our leadership positions what we try to do is it's not it's not me by myself in a room one time yeah. talks to somebody yeah <laughs> that, you know you have you know, multiple conversations mm-hmm. over a long period of time, multiple people participating in the conversation. Right. Um, and even then it's not, you know, perfect because, yeah, you know, people look through different lenses mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and, and I think finding the right chemistry is critical because when, it, when it's off, it just causes so much other disruption. Yeah, right. So you, you want it to be right because then the, the team's going to be more effective. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. What would you say is your number one uh, leadership tip? Um, fail early and yeah. small. Um, everybody's going to do something wrong. Right, yeah, right? it's bound to happen. Yeah, and so you know, don't strive for perfection. Okay. Or I guess strive for perfection, yeah. but know that the gift is probably in the imperfection. Right. And that, you know, if you're if you beat yourself up because it wasn't perfect, then all you're going to do is be beating yourself up. Yeah, you're going to stop there. Then. Yeah. And that, you know, try to get a little bit better every day and, mm-hmm. and a little bit better every time you, you tackle something. And then learn from the mistakes that come up. Um, and if you can kind of um, cue those mistakes up in a way that creates growth, you're going to be much better off. Yeah. Um, you know, I can just say from my own experience, um, you learn a lot more from the small mistakes right. that you can work through um, than even some of the big successes. And, right, of and course. more often than not, the big successes are put together by a series of small mistakes. Right, right? yeah, that, yeah. That things aren't, they never come together perfectly. Yeah, not the first yeah. time. Yeah, no yeah. way. Yeah, I like that. And then what did you, or do you have any special habits that you think have propelled you to be successful or be a, like a big leadership spot? Special habits? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, sl- not sleeping. Yeah. That's <laughs> one of the key ones. Um, no, you know, I think something that can, um, I think just being more disciplined, I'm not saying that I'm great at that, mm-hmm. but, you know, getting good, healthy, productive habits, um, you know, making sure that you keep a balance, um, you know, I think those are things that are that are generally really helpful. And, and you know, now that I'm rambling on about it, um, probably the, the, for me, the most important thing is listening for understanding. Okay. Like, don't just talk. Yeah, don't listen for, to, for your response. Listen to understand it. Yeah, and that you, but, and that you actually listen to people, mm-hmm. right? And that um, I already know what I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> and so what are other people thinking? And is that going to change what my perception is or things that I need to think about? And, you know, I, um, going back to my comment about, you know, be careful what you say. Um, if all you do is um, 
is direct people and you're not listening to what the other cues are that are out there, you're gonna lead yourself down a path. Right. And and you have to be clear-eyed and, and really be aware of the reality that's going on. And I, I, I love Malcolm Gladwell and his different writings. And um, I forget exactly which book this is in, um, but uh, it, one of the premises that he makes is that the the more successful you are and the older you are the more you underestimate the risks in front of you and the more you overestimate your own capabilities right, okay. so you know i'm great i've been doing this i know what yeah. i'm doing i'm really successful yeah i get overconfident i keep building yeah. I'm more successful i get overconfident and then I start underestimating the problems that are out there. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I fall straight into a giant pit that I'm not aware of. Yeah, you weren't ready for right. it because you're like, I've had all this success. Yeah. Then. And so, you know, being being humble and yeah, listening to people on the team and not thinking that you have the answers to all the problems because ultimately you're just one person. Yeah. And, you know, I think the role of the CEO is to empower all of the other people yep. to be successful. Right. And if they just, if, if I was to think I have all the answers, then I'm missing it. Right? Yeah. Like I don't even know all the stuff that's going on. Right. But if I can queue up the right resources in the right direction and the team can be successful, then we're gonna accomplish a lot more. Yeah, sounds good. All right, it's about one. So Joe, you got any closing questions? One thirty, I mean. No, I don't think so. No? All right, I got one more question for you. Sure. If you could give your, your, your younger self one or two pieces of advice, what would it be? Um, don't be afraid to make bolder decisions early. Okay. Um, and I'd say, you know, use, um, use the tools that you have to create the path that you want to go down. Right. And, mm -hmm. and life is a journey. Right. So, you know, um, and, and I'll, I'll give some other context to that. So, mm -hmm. you know, when when I got out of the army, um, you know, people were, uh, it seemed like the answer to the, the, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? The question was always, the answer was always, I want to be the CEO. <laughs> yeah. And so for, for years, I was like, I want to be the CEO. Yeah. I don't, I don't even honestly know how that happened. There's <laughs> yeah. no guidebook that says, here's what you're going to do to be yeah. the CEO. <laughs> And, and after I worked at Sterling for a number of years, I was like, oh, dear God, the last thing I want to do is to be the CEO. <laughs> that job sucks. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, to do it right, you have to work all these crazy hours. There's all sorts of mistakes you can make. Mm -hmm. You know, it's certainly not about the money. Right. right. And so you got to want to do it for the right reasons. Yeah. And that it's just more difficult than you can expect. Um, and, and so it's kind of like, as soon as I stopped wanting to be the CEO of something, mm -hmm. you know, I got it beat out of my head. Yeah. Then the opportunity came open to be the CEO of okay. something else. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I think don't be afraid to try things and risk small failure, right. but learn from the opportunities that you have and, and then use that to build your own path mm -hmm. and just know that the path is going to be different, right. right? Whatever you think your path is when you're. 20 or 25 it's going to be different when you're 40 of course yeah and and so you know create opportunities and use those opportunities to 
shape your path and and you know just have fun while you're doing it definitely i like that good to know well thank you so much yeah, for coming you. on the show yeah yeah, yeah this really is appreciate awesome. your time thank yeah. you so much that's all for today guys thank you so much for tuning in to episode five of the create great podcast another huge thanks to ezra for coming on the show it was awesome to get to talk to him and pick his brain we learned a lot we can't wait for the next episode thank you again for all the support and we'll catch you guys next time